Good afternoon, everyone. Um, thank you again for um, sticking with me today uh, from 12 to 1.30. My name is Marie-Yves Nadine Jean-Baptiste, and I am the um, owner of the uh, St. Eve Law Firm here in Towson, Maryland. Um, today, I'm going to discuss the, uh, what everyone considers to be the ugly topic of divorce. Um, and so I'm going to kind of, my, my purpose today is to have everyone walk away with a better understanding of the Maryland divorce process and how it's, it's you know, not so ugly as everyone thinks that it is. Um, so we're going to get right to it. I just want to let everybody know, um, in order to make sure that uh, we all stay anonymous, there should be a chat feature um, in your in your um, in your Zoom um, app, I'm sorry. <laughs> there should be a chat feature in your Zoom app, so you can go ahead and use that feature to just, as I am talking, to go ahead and put in um, and put some questions that you may have, or um, you know, some comments along the way. So that way, by the time um, I am done with the slideshow, I can go ahead and start reading off the questions. So that way, everyone can uh, kind of get their questions answered, but we don't run the risk of creating an issue with, um, we don't run the risk with creating an issue with privacy, okay? So with, without further ado, let's get in it. Um, the first thing, the first slide that I wanna go over is just, you know, my own idea of divorce. It, it, I fir firmly believe that divorce is not a scary thing. Um, however, it can mean a brand new scary start. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you failed because a lot of my clients tend to, um, you know, come in and say, hey, you know, my heart is broken and I feel like I failed my family and I feel like, like I failed my kids. And that's just not necessarily the case, you know. Um, the next issue that I run into a lot is that a lot of my clients think that they can either do the process themselves or they can negotiate a settlement agreement. And that is definitely further from the truth. So this is a famous attorney um, saying, it depends. So depending on the kind of divorce that you have, you are looking at something that can either be very, very, um, uh, very, very simple, or that can be very, very difficult. So I kind of, I, I want to go through um, kind of a subset of different ways that your um, divorce does, re requires an attorney. Um, the first one being is that if you and your spouse do not agree, um, if your spouse has an attorney, you can't locate your spouse, um, you don't have access to sufficient evidence to prove your case. Um, you disagree on child custody issues, which unfortunately is um, very prevalent in a lot of my cases. Um, you and your spouse want an annulment. An annulment is a pretty, um, it's a pretty complicated process um, and one that you must complete within a short period of time and a lot of people are not aware of that time period. Um, there is property or earned income for you to divide. Um, there is prop, um, you and your spouse want alimony, a business is involved, or you and your spouse is in the military. 
Um, in cases like this, unfortunately, you should 100% have an attorney because it's just too complicated. The laws are very, very, um, there's a lot of minutia. The law is very complicated. And unfortunately, if you don't have an attorney to help you navigate um, you know, our laws, unfortunately, you might end up in a situation where um, you just don't get the kind of outcome that you're looking for. And that's, that's a pretty big deal. Um, the next thing that I do want to talk about is um, the divorce process explained. So the first thing we have is jurisdiction. And jurisdiction is important because you, in, in order for you to bring a lawsuit and sue someone, the court has to have the right to do so. And so jurisdiction is, is kind of twofold. So it's where you or your spouse live or work, and you have to meet the six months residency. Um, so what that means is you or your spouse will have to have lived here for lived in the state of Maryland for at least six months before you can bring um, the before you can bring the lawsuit. Now, um, the next thing is you have to prepare what's called a case opening memo or form. Um, so with this, it's called a civil domestic case form. Now the civil domestic case form is very simple. It allows you to explain to uh, the court what type of case you are opening. So your name, your phone numbers, your email address, the information of your attorney, the types of issues, we'll get to that further along, um, the type of issues that you have, such as child custody, alimony, and, and the like. Um, now, there are three types of divorce forms. Now, we have the limited divorce, the absolute divorce, and the counter complaint. The limited divorce is one that you fill out um, when you don't have all the grounds of divorce. We'll get into that later. Um, the absolute divorce is you, you've met a certain threshold and you qualify for um, a divorce as of right now. Um, the counter complaint is the document that you fill out when you firmly believe that for some reason or another, um, you have a counterclaim because your spouse did not allege everything that you firmly believe the court should be hearing. Now, as far as the types of divorce goes, you have the absolute divorce, as I said earlier. The absolute divorce disposes of all issues. What that means is everything under the sun that pertains to you and your spouse. So you're looking at alimony, custody, child support, property division, um, use and possession of the family home, and just everything. You cannot remarry, um, excuse me, you can remarry, but of course not while you're going through the process of divorce, which unfortunately in some cases have happened. Um, the limited divorce, however, as we, as I alluded to earlier, talks about the grounds um, that, that you do or you don't have for an absolute divorce. So you and your spouse may have separated, but you're separating, you, your separation is not within the statutory time limit, which is 12 months. And so let's say you're in month six and you decide, you know what, let's just go ahead and get the divorce. Well, you would file for a limited divorce unless there is a reason why you would qualify for an absolute divorce. Under the limited divorce, 
you can ask the court for alimony, custody, um, child support, use and possession of the family home or family use personal property. Um, you will still be married. It's basically what's what a lot of um, states called a legal separation. Um, you cannot remarry and property will not be divided. So um, in the event you are trying to qualify for some kind of public assistance or any kind of Medicaid or something like that, a limited divorce um, will be a huge barrier because you are still seen as having ownership to the property. Now, the next, over on the next slide, we'll talk about a financial form. Um, the financial forms that you have to fill out are the financial statements. Um, there are three types of financial statement. One is for child support. The other two are um, a breakdown of your income and expenses. Those are filled out when you're asking for alimony, and the other one, if you make $15,000 per month, if you and your spouse make a combined income of more than $15,000 per month, the court uses a special calculation to calculate child support. As far as the joint marital property settlement, excuse me, joint property, joint <laughs> marital property statement, that is something that is filed to let the court know that this is all the property that me and my, me and my spouse has, and this property falls in three different, three different categories. The first being that me and my spouse do not agree that this property is marital, so we need the court to decide for us. The second category says, you know what, me and my spouse, we've talked, we're grownups about this, and we have agreed that dot, dot, dot property is, is in fact um, marital or non-marital. And then the next, and excuse me, is marital or non-marital, and then the next category is basically the same thing, but it's saying that we this property is 100% non-marital and here's the reason why. Um, the next um, financial form you, you can fill out is the marital settlement agreement. Now the marital settlement agreement is a very comprehensive form, but it does have financial components to it when you're filing for mutual consent because it includes calculations such as child support and a breakdown of alimony and so forth and so on. Um, and then the next form that you would fill out is the report of absolute divorce. So the state of Maryland um, wants to know who got divorced, when they got divorced, and they need to know whether or not this is your first or second or third or fourth uh, divorce. So basically this is a way for the court to, this is a way for the state to um, to uh, kind of you know keep statistics and um, so the next thing we'll talk about is filing fees and waivers. So when you're opening um, when you're opening a divorce case, the cost is $165 no matter what county you're in. The attorney appearance fee is either $10 or $20. Either way, none of the fees are refundable, unfortunately. Um, if you file and you don't have the money, you can always file a request for a fee waiver, but it does require a breakdown of your income. If you are represented through a nonprofit organization, your attorney will file um, a different waiver for you, and that waiver will allow the court to let you know 
um, whether or not you will have to pay the 165, well, $185 fee. Uh, the waiver does not forgive the costs. What it does is it actually defers them, and at the end, you will have to file a waiver of open court costs, and unfortunately, there is no guarantee. Um, usually, the attorney um, files that for you. If you don't have an attorney, the court will allow you to file it. They will provide you with a form and they'll allow you to file it. It usually takes a couple of weeks to get the answer. But in the event it's granted, you don't have to worry about um, actually paying the 185 fee or any other open court cost fee. Now, to serve a complaint, we have three timelines. We have uh, 30 days, 60 days, and 90 day time limits. So 30 days is for someone who resides in or works in the state of Maryland. A 60 day timeline is for individuals who are actually outside of the state of Maryland. And 90 days is for someone who's out of the country. So what that means is if your writ of summons or, or your summons is um, executed on January 1st, you have until January 31st to, to serve the complaint and all of the documents that you filed with the court onto your spouse. Um, as far as um, who can serve, you have an independent person, you have a sheriff, certified mail or alternative service. So I'll kind of break down, break that down for you. So an independent person is someone over the age of 18 who is not a party to the complaint. So you cannot file this onto your spouse. If you file it onto your spouse and your, your spouse has every right to file a motion to dismiss for, um, uh, for improper service, and unfortunately your case will get thrown out and you'll have to start all over again. Um, the sheriff, uh, can serve it. The sheriff will um, go ahead and uh, charge you. I believe it's a $40 fee. Um, it might have gone to 50, gone up to $50, but don't quote me on that. You can also serve it by certified mail. Now, certified mail, however, you need to be careful because you can't just um, you can't just serve it and not have the actual person sign for it because if you if you don't unfortunately service is not complete. Or you can file a motion for alternative service. Again, a little bit more complicated in area where you do need an attorney. Alternative, a motion for alternative service allows you to ask the court to go ahead and um, go ahead and notify the person that you're suing for divorce in a very different way. That might include you know, a billboard in the middle of Times Square if your spouse you know, resides in New York City. It might include a newspaper. It might include posting in the local courthouse where that person resides or where you think that person resides. Um, the next thing you have to do is file an affidavit of service. When you file the affidavit of service, you can go ahead and let the court know, hey, listen, I file this, this person, the clock now for this person to answer starts running as of this date. Now, I usually work with a lot of, with a specific service company that they file this for me so I don't have to do it. Um, however, if you have decided to um, tackle your divorce by yourself, it's very, very important that you file this and you file it correctly because if you don't, your case is going to sit and unfortunately after 12 months in the state of Maryland, your case will be dismissed for lack of prosecution. Um, 
the next step is you can file a motion for default after you file the affidavit of service. So you let the court know, hey, listen, I have, um, I have filed, uh, excuse me, I have served my spouse and my spouse knows about this. They were put on notice and they decided to do nothing about it. So unfortunately, I, I wanna go ahead and request a default. The default usually is granted. And what that means is in essence, you win your case. So whatever it is that you asked for, as long as you follow the proper procedures, you can go ahead and ask the court to divide it. Um, I remember in one of my cases, I was able to get a divorce, but we had a retirement account. And the problem is opposing party never provided me with the documents that I needed in order to make sure that I, I received what, you know, the documents necessary for the courts to have jurisdiction to split this um, to, to split this property up. And so through many, many motions and so forth and so on, I was able to kind of force him to get counsel and we were able to settle. But um, this is one of those situations, it's very rare, but it's just one of those situations where having counsel initially can save the client um, thousands of dollars from having to file a ton of motions and find, find loopholes in the law in order to get things done. Um, now, after you serve um, the complaint, the circuit court in your county or in your city, if you're in Baltimore City, will go ahead and schedule a conference, a scheduling conference. This is a wonderful opportunity for you to go ahead and try to settle the case, right? Um, mediation may occur to um, help settle. There's actually a typo in this, but I will fix it before I send it out. Um, if there is no settlement, then we're going to go ahead and move you to the Office of Family Services. The Office of Family Services is just, it's a wonderful office because everyone there is hell-bent on making sure that you get the divorce as quickly and painlessly as possible. Um, the office offers many, many services to, to kind of push that along. Um, they are also very, very skilled in dealing with high-conflict cases. So their services include mediation, intensive mediation for really high conflict cases, child custody evaluation, a co-parenting classes, parenting workshops for people with domestic violence, addiction, um, and mental health issues, supervised visits and monitored exchanges, psychiatric evaluations. Um, there, we can also have a best interest attorney appointed and a privilege attorney um, appointed. Now, as far as mediation, usually you get one session at mediation. If two sessions is required, the court will go ahead and schedule that at the end of your mediation session. Um, you do have to pay for it. All of these services, other than the best interest and the privilege attorney, um, there are fee waivers available for individuals who unfortunately cannot afford it. Um, Intensive mediation, again, as I said, for high conflict cases where um, the parties are just, uh, it's, it's, it's impossible for them to get along. We have um, more skilled mediators that are prone to dealing with situations like this, so they're able to get the parties to kind of calm down and have a conversation. Uh, child custody evaluation, it's actually one of my favorites, um, favorite ways of getting the case um, resolve because you have an independent party that may be a, 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 a licensed clinical social worker or a therapist, excuse me, or a psychologist come in and talk with both parents individually and talk with the children 
and engage with the parents and the children at the same time and engage with the attorney and the parents. So you have five meetings with this individual and they get to um, work with your family closely in order to provide the, the best possible opinion. These are highly skilled individuals who are considered experts. And in many, many cases, I have had them um, on my side and I've called them as um, expert witnesses and um, it does help, it, it definitely helps the case. And in other cases, it has hurt a little bit and it allowed us for me and my client and opposing counsel and his or her client to kind of sit down at the table and say, listen, we understand based off of the evaluation that this might not go in our favor, let's just go ahead and settle this. So that way we can craft our own outcome. Um, as far as uh, co-parenting classes, you can do those online. I believe the fee is $39.99. It's, it's a wonderful program. It is six hours, though. The good news is you can start or stop um, anytime you want. If you are in Prince George's County, unfortunately, I do not believe they have online access to the parenting um, workshop. You actually have to go there, and it's a two-day event. Um, and in some cases, you do have to show up um, on a day that your, your spouse um, decided that it was good for them. So that might be a little awkward, but there's a lot of parents there. So it might help you um, avoid conflict by not sitting next to them. Um, the parenting workshop, like I said, is for domestic violence, addiction, and mental health um, uh, situations. And again, it's more intensive, more hands-on. You have supervised visits and monitored exchanges. The Office of Family Services will facilitate those. And um, there is someone there that works for um, OFS and they will sit down and unfortunately, they will have to monitor your interactions um, with your children. And then you have psychiatric evaluations. The Office of Family Services does facilitate that. Usually it's with um, an independent psychiatrist um, in Hartford County. We use Dr. Gombatz, great guy. Um, and uh, we've also used Dr. James on, on another, um, in, in other situations. Um, Best interest attorney and privilege attorneys um, usually go hand in hand. Those are attorneys for the children, which um, in, in my opinion is a wonderful thing to have because a lot of times you have children who are underage and unfortunately they cannot advocate for themselves. In the state of Maryland, to testify you have to be over the age of 18. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of times you have allegations of abuse, sexual assault, and so forth and so on. And in order to get this information out, you need a privilege attorney who looks at the case, talks to um, the parents, and gets the go-ahead to release mental health records to the best interest attorney. You cannot release records without a privileged attorney. Um, and then the best interest attorney will work directly with the parents and with the children in order to facilitate um, an idea as to what's going on and who, what, when, where, and why. And they can, they can be witnesses um, for the children to disclose what's going on. Very, very, very complicated area of law. Very complicated. Um, 
the, as I stated before, the Office of Family Services it can be, you know, a useful process that can be used to strengthen or weaken um, your case, or, you know, it can be used to facilitate um, settlement. The next type of hearing you will have is what's called a hearing for temporary relief. That is, I need child support, I need um, alimony, I need to remain in the home, I need all of my bills paid, I need um, the mortgage and the rent and so forth and so on paid. This hearing allows for the temporary relief that starts from um, the date the ruling is made and goes on all the way until either the parties agree, there's a consent order, or we have a trial and everything is done. Uh, speaking of trial, you have what's called a marriage trial. A marriage trial is where you have your day in court and you can talk about all of the things that have happened, um, of course, in a very targeted way. Um, and, and, you know, you can have your, um, uh, your witnesses testify, you can have all your evidence put out there and, you know, kind of just show the court why he or she should be, um, should be on your side. Now, the current wait times for the, um, for the hearings are, it ranges from 150 days all the way to 330 days. I've had cases go on for two years, unfortunately, not because the attorneys are not doing what they need to do, but because we've had some emergencies and stuff like that in between that time. And as a result, um, we've had to file for postponements. Now, the next type of hearing we have is a scheduling conference. Uh, excuse me. Um, we have uh, Christmas holiday vacation disputes. What that means is in the event the parties cannot agree on Christmas holiday vacation, fortunately, we have to resort to the court and the court will make the decision for you. As far as travel disputes, if one party wants to go um, overseas or if one party wants to go outside of the state and no one can agree, the parties can come to the court and ask for the court to make that decision. Um, in Baltimore County and other counties, we have settlement conferences where we sit down and kind of it's, it's one, it's another bite at the apple to go ahead and settle the case. In Harford County, they call them pretrial conferences. Um, we have the evaluators conference. That's where the, um, the child custody evaluator puts on um, their evidence and, and their opinion as to what child custody um, should ultimate, ultimately be. Um, and then we have the evaluators hearing where the um, evaluator will just put everything on the record, meaning in front of a, a judge or a magistrate. And then once again, we have the marriage trial where it's, it can be uncontested or contested. Uncontested means we agree on everything. Here's our agreement. And, you know, let's just get divorced. Contested, unfortunately, can um, uh, be very, very complicated and allows for um, uh, for litigation to go on for a really long time. And it's, again, costly. Now, um, to the grounds for divorce, if, it, if your grounds for divorce occurred outside of Maryland, what that means is if the reason for the divorce, let's say, you know, your spouse um, had sex with someone else while in Jamaica or something like that, um, if it occurred outside of Maryland to qualify for divorce here, you or your spouse must have resided in Maryland for at least six months before the filing of the complaint. Um, 
if you're going based on mutual consent, that is a wonderful ground now that includes parents with children, where you and your spouse have um, gone ahead and um, agreed on every single thing and have decided we are done. Um, here's our settlement agreement and let's just go ahead and get divorced. My, my, in my experience, um, I'm usually able to get my clients divorced in about, I would say 45 to 90 days, um, depending on the county. The next ground is adultery. And be careful with this one because it is considered a crime in Maryland. Unfortunately, I believe it's punishable by either $25 or $50. Yes, it is a crime. It's a misdemeanor in the state of Maryland. Um, actual, excuse me, adultery, you can get a divorce right away. Actual desertion, meaning your spouse has left and has not come back. Once again, you can get a divorce right away. Constructive desertion is saying, my spouse has done so many things to me and has made it insufferable for me to continue to remain living um, in the same house. Um, and as a result, I had no choice to, but to leave. Uh, criminal conviction, felony and misdemeanors. My spouse was sentenced to at least a three-year minimum sentence, and my spouse has, um, has served at least 12 months of that time, and as a result, I want a divorce. Cruelty, excessively vicious conduct against you and your kids is my spouse has done some unspeakable, unforgivable things. And if I do not leave, my health and safety is in danger. Um, and insanity, which also requires, um, you know, three years, my spouse has been institutionalized. There's no way that we're getting back together. All of these grounds require the idea and um, that you prove that you're just not getting back together, you're not interested in it. Because if there's a chance that you're gonna get back together, the court is not gonna wanna divorce you um, to go through the process. Now, if you have children, very, very complicated area, I suggest that if you have children and you're divorcing 100%, you get an attorney. The only way you should not have an attorney is if you and your spouse agree. And even if you agree, you need an attorney to prepare the agreement or to look over any agreement that you or someone else has prepared. Um, you need to advise the court of any open court cases that are involving the children in state and out of state. You need to advise the court of anyone else who has um, custody or legal rights to your children. Your children have to, ha have to be Maryland residents. This is very, very important. If your children are residents of any other state, um, there are some really complicated rules that uh, we need to look at. Um, there are two types of custody, excuse me, there are uh, several types of custody. The first two important ones are legal custody and physical custody. Legal custody is the custody to make the big decisions in your children's lives. So we're talking health, we're talking school, uh, we're talking travel, we're talking um, um, medical treatment or lack of medical treatment. And um, we have physical custody, which is who do the children reside with on a daily basis? Now, if you and your, um, if you and your spouse agree, we have what's called a parenting plan. 
Even if you don't agree, you still have to fill it out. But the parenting plan, um, if you do agree, is a very streamlined process because it allows you and your spouse to sit down and make decisions about how you're going to split these children or this child up and what schedule. And you present it to the court and it allows your divorce to go um, uh, to go by a, a lot quicker and a lot smoother. Um, we have visitation, which we are now um, considering to be parenting time. So in the event a parent is um, granted sole legal and sole physical custody, we, we now need visitation rights for the, the non-custodial parent. And so the court can help you or your attorney can help you um, fashion something that would work. The most, um, the most common schedule is every other weekend from Friday to Sunday. Um, and then we have tiebreaker authority. Tiebreaker authority is, um, it's very complicated, but not really. Um, in a nutshell, it is sole custody disguised as we're trying to work this out. So I don't usually advocate tie-breaking authority unless it's a case where I know that opposing party is just that adamant that he or she needs to be on the front lines making all of the decisions and my, my client gets cut out um, a lot. Um, child support is a hot button issue. There are a lot of factors that go into child support. Um, the court usually has a very simple process. You fill out a financial statement um, telling the court what your income is and we calculate it um, based off of uh, a certain calculation and it tells you what you should pay and what you shouldn't pay. Um, now, if you're paying health insurance and stuff like that or daycare, you do get a credit, so it reduces your overall amount that you have to pay for, um, for child support. And then you have health insurance for the children. The children, as you know, can be covered for a specific period of time. Um, that is one of the things that we, we often litigate. And then we have relocation issues. If one, if one parent wants to go outside of the state or outside of the country, um, that might create some problems and we end up having uh, to kind of litigate that one issue um, and then ultimately the court will make the decision. Now, what if you have pets? Now, for other states, um, we use the best interest standard. And the pets, basically, it's been said that the pets should go with the children because they are considered family pets. Now, Maryland, however, doesn't see it that way. Maryland sees um, pets as property and not as part of the family. So unfortunately, you would have to fight for your beloved cat or dog or bird or gerbil as if you were fighting over a dresser that you bought one year in Cabo. Um, I don't necessarily agree with it, and um, it is my hope that Maryland will catch up to some of the other states, but I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Um, now, as far as alimony goes, we have over 10 statutory alimony factors that are laid out in the family law article. Um, the court is not limited to those 10 factors and can use any case law that they find relevant or any other factors in the other parts of the family law article that they find to be relevant. Um, you can ask the court for temporary alimony during litigation, and you can ask for temporary alimony for a period of time after divorce. Those are two separate standards. One is a need based on need during the litigation, 
and the other is based off of the ability of your spouse to pay after you get divorced. Um, we also have indefinite alimony in the state of Maryland, and we have ways to modify it and terminate it. A lot of people think that if they've been granted alimony for an indefinite period of time, that that's it and the court can't do anything, and that is the furthest from the truth. In the event the, the spouse paying alimony loses his or her job, that is a, um, that is a very solid ground to either terminate or modify. Uh, or modify. And that's just one of the examples. Um, alimony, we also look at um, health insurance. So that is something we, we might use to, um, for example, if your spouse is very wealthy and once you get divorced, you no longer qualify. Um, we, you know, your coverage can be extended through COBRA, which is extremely expensive. expensive your spouse can go ahead and pay for that health insurance and we can use that to kind of reduce the alimony payments and so forth and so on. Um, alimony can be um, implemented by wage lien, so it just comes directly out of your um, spouse's check uh, every week or every two weeks, however he or she gets paid. Bankruptcy. That is definitely a separate topic, but I wanted to mention it because um, alimony payments are not bankruptcy eligible. Um, so I feel like that is something that um, everyone uh, should definitely know. Now we have property distribution. We have marital versus non-marital. With property distribution, we need to determine what is and what is not marital. So anything that you obtained before your marriage is not marital property. So what that means is your spouse cannot get a piece of it. Now, with that said, there are exceptions because this is the law, you know, um, and nothing is all, all, nothing is a straight shot. And so there are very complicated calculations that need to be made if you obtain something before your marriage, but you used it in your marriage, it now becomes part marital. So we need to have a valuation of what that means. Um, and so we, we basically figure out what's marital and what's not marital. So for example, if you have a house, you, you pay $500,000 for that house. You bought it before you got married and you pay $200,000 on the mortgage. You now get married. There's $300,000 left. You and your spouse work together to pay off that $300 note together. Well, upon your divorce, $200,000 in equity is yours to keep for yourself without contribution, from, without um, uh, a claim from your spouse, but the $300,000 will need to be divided equitably, not equally, but equitably between you and your spouse. So there are many, many ways in which non-marital property that you get before you get married can in fact become, um, become marital. And some of the examples are retirement assets, furnitures, cars, bank accounts. Um, it's, I feel like it's important to note that Social Security is not marital, but it can be used to determine um, distribution of marital property. What that means is if you're going to get $300,000 and your spouse is getting $300,000 in the divorce, but your spouse also has $4,500 a month, in social security distributions, 
the court might try to equalize things and you might get a $350,000 payout and your spouse would get $250,000 payout. Um, in Maryland, that is what's called equitable a distribution. It's as equal as possible. Now, use and possession of the family home and the personal property in the home, for you to get use and possession for up to three years, um, you have to have children in common. If you do not have children in common, I, it's unfortunately, you can't do that. Um, you can reach a partial or full agreement for any property division um, if you don't agree, even if you don't agree on custody. Um, there's also a what's called a partition or sale in lieu of partition. So what that means, just very briefly, is if you have a home and unfortunately you and your spouse cannot agree as to what to do with it and who gets to stay, you can ask the court to force a sale. Um, you cannot force a partition of a home because a partition is literally splitting it in two. You can only do that with land. Um, and so what you're asking the court to do is go ahead and sell this house and we will divide the proceeds. The, um, I wanted to talk about the mutual consent ground because it's a really, really important ground. It's, um, it involves a complete settlement of the entire divorce. It includes all property, child custody issues. It includes alimony. Um, it includes uh, debt issues. Um, you have to calculate child support and you can either ask for a reduced amount of child support or an increased amount of child support. Either way, you have to let the court know why you're deviating up or down. Um, the mutual consent ground does allow you to get an uncontested divorce. It's the quickest way. Usually you your, um, and your spouse can work together to come up with an agreement, have an attorney review the agreement and um, submit it to the court with your complaint for divorce and um, you're able to get um, a divorce pretty quickly. Now, as far as the 12-month separation, that is another ground that states that you are living apart in separate homes. Um, there's no interruption of the living in um, arrangements and uh, nesting is okay. Nesting is where you and your spouse alternate staying in the home when you have uh, small children there. So if you're alternating week on week off, your spouse will stay in the home in the first week and you will move out and you'll go someplace else. And then you'll come back when it's your week and then your spouse will move out. That doesn't stop the set, the, the 12 month separation. That is okay. Um, and during this 12 months, you and your spouse cannot engage in sexual intercourse with each other. If you do, you start the clock all over. Um, as far as agreements go, we have um, three types. We have antenuptial agreements, which are prenups. We have postnuptial agreements entered into after marriage, and we have marital settlement agreements. Prenups, of course, resolve a great deal of your issues without costly litigation. You enter into them before you get married. Postnuptial agreements are entered into after marriage. They're scrutinized by the court because unfortunately, there's no consideration to create really a valid contract. Um, you still have marital rights to inherit property of your spouse. So it just, it doesn't have teeth. And so um, that's why it's not usually a, a popular tool. 
And then you have, lastly, the marital settlement agreement, which resolves all issues. It's very complicated, has very complicated language um, to include protection for both sides. And um, you can contest the agreement under contract laws and um, it can be um, amended. It's one of the most popular tools that we use in our divorce when we're doing uh, divorces under mutual consent. Um, now, well, it's, it's also required, but we can do it under mutual or 12 month. Um, now, divorce in your estate, there is, in the event you have a last will and testament, there, and you get divorced, there's an automatic revocation of all provisions in your last will and testament upon entry of the divorce order. So what that means is that in the event you have a will, you and your spouse get a divorce on January 1st. As of January 1st, whatever provisions are in your will for your spouse are null and void. So if you were giving your spouse the house, if you were giving them your bank accounts, if you were giving them um, basically everything you have, no longer they're not eligible to inherit it. Here's where the problem comes in. If you don't have a contingent uh, beneficiary or if your contingent beneficiary has, has passed away or they're, now a, or they're still a minor or something like that, you run the risk of creating um, a, a problem for your estate upon your death. Um, and the biggest issue is if you're, if you or your spouse dies before your divorce is final, your spouse can still inherit your estate. Now, if you have a marital settlement agreement, um, attorneys such as, as myself, we make sure to include very, very specific, um, complicated legal, um, um, legal, oh, gosh, <laughs> um, legal wording in there, excuse me, that says that your spouse, upon signing of, of, of this document, they are no longer um, entitled to receive anything from your estate. So it's kind of, it's, it's a savings clause, uh, which is very, very important. If there is no settlement agreement, then unfortunately, the um, laws of intestacy will apply if you don't have a will. If you do have a will, the will will dictate what happens. Um, now, if what happens if you're incapacitated during divorce? Well, if you're incapacitated during divorce, then your power of attorney and your advanced medical directive will be valid. And so as a result, your spouse may act on your behalf and unfortunately, you run the risk of your spouse making a decision that you ultimately don't even want them to make. So what I like to do as a precaution for my clients who have uh, POAs or AMDs, I have them fill out a um, express revocation form and then sends it to the agents and their spouse and the spouse's attorney to let them know that whatever power they may have had, that is 100% revoked. Um, and then we go ahead and execute a new estate plan because my other area of law is um, estate planning. So usually my divorces and my estate planning practice tends to go hand in hand. Um, now a very, very important slide is the Medicaid, Medicaid eligibility slide. Um, for a, I don't get too many elderly couples divorcing, but for those that do, we have to worry about the five-year look-back period. When you're looking at absolute divorce, it separates all marital property. 
So any items you own apart from the marriage will in fact be counted. So anything that's, what that means is whatever's titled in your name is yours. So you are safe for the five-year look back. Um, for those that don't know what the five-year look back is, when you are eligible for Medicaid long-term care services, such as a nursing home or um, assisted living facility, when you apply, Medicaid audits the last five years of all of your financial transactions of all of your property, however titled. When you are married, you and your spouse are considered one. So when you get divorced, anything that is titled in your name only, that is what Medicaid looks at. They don't look at what was titled between you and your spouse. So I do know some people that think, oh, okay, let me just get divorced as a way to plan for Medicaid. Not a good idea if you're doing it because you have a legitimate reason and your spouse is insufferable and you have to get away, that's one thing. But if you're doing it to plan for Medicaid, unfortunately, it, 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 it's very apparent and uh, the Department of Health will be able to see it and you will get penalized um, and they have a system where um, they calculate the, the, how they penalize you and so forth and so on. So I don't ever recommend that. What I do recommend is things such as a life estate deed or annuities or a special needs trust um, to, support your, um, to support your spouse for you know, their, their medication, their, their support, their health, things like that. Um, also, alimony. When you, if you are ordered to pay alimony to a spouse who is in a um, Medicaid eligible eligible uh, facility, you don't you don't get to pay your spouse that med um that alimony. That alimony actually has to be paid to the nursing home or the facility, whatever facility they're in. Um, if you apply for Medicaid post divorce, again, your five year look back only cares about the property only owned by you. Now, prenups, that's where the prenups come in handy because you can create a prenup with a qualified attorney that will help you shield your assets from Medicaid in the event of divorce. You, so you can plan for it. No one plans to get divorced, but let's face it, life happens. Um, as far as a limited divorce, because it doesn't dissolve the marriage and there is no separation of property and you cannot get remarried, all items, no matter how they are titled, are counted as one. Um, so that is a very important slide because one of the biggest issues in divorce, unfortunately, is how am I going to how am I going to qualify for Medicaid now, or how am I going to pay for this house, or how am I going to do this, how am I going to do that? So when people think of divorce, they don't necessarily think of Medicaid and they don't necessarily think of bankruptcy, but those are two really, really big areas um, when you're dealing with a divorce. I made sure to include um, in my PowerPoint, and I will send this PowerPoint out um, to everyone who registered, um, for uh, the webinar, um, I made sure to include in my PowerPoint all the nonprofit organizations we have here in the state of Maryland, um, simply because I know that unfortunately a lot of people, the fact that they cannot afford an attorney stops them from getting out of a really bad situation or just a situation that they're just not happy in. Um, and so I made sure to include all of the nonprofit organizations that I've worked with, I continue to work with, um, that provide 
um, compensation to private attorneys such as myself, um, and so that we so that way we can represent the client um, through a divorce, and it's completely free of charge for you. But for us, we do get compensated. Um, I do a lot of um, community outreach work with uh, Community Legal Services of Prince George's County, um, with the Maryland Volunteer Lawyer Service, and the Hartford County Bar Foundation. Um, that's, it, it covers almost all of Maryland. Um, but there are other places, such as the Women's Law Center of Maryland, which is located here in Towson, where my office is. I have not done any work with them, but um, they do great work, and they do target um, only women. Sorry, fellas. Now, we also have SARC, which I've done some work with. I've taken a couple of SARC cases. That is the Sexual Abuse Spouse Abuse Resource Center. They are located in Hartford County. I'm not sure if they have any other um, locations. There's also Senior Legal Services, which I continue to work with till this day. Uh, they are located in Baltimore um, City. One of my good friends is a um, former um, employee of that company, so they have great people and they have great staff. Now, um, Again, my name is Marie Eve Nadine G. Baptiste. I want to thank you for coming, and I just want to thank you for, you know, sitting through all of this with me. I have some questions in the chat that ideally I would like to um, have answered. Um, the first one says, if my children have savings account, would this money have to be part of um, a settlement? So the good news is no. So once you and your spouse have made the decision to put money to the side for you, um, for, for you know, your children's education, you don't have to worry about that money being um, kind of thrown into the divorce because in essence, it's just, it's not for you and it's not for your spouse. Now, with that said, if you and your spouse decide, you know what, we want to go ahead and split this money up, that's something that um, you can go ahead and do. But one spouse cannot and probably should not unilaterally just go into the bank account and empty it out and say, you know what, I want this and so forth and so on. Thankfully, in my practice, I've never had to deal with something like that. I usually have spouses who understand um, uh, what's going on and why this money is here. So I've never had to deal with it. But from my understanding, it's not a good idea to um, put put that money in into the divorce. Um, in fact, it's good to leave it right where it is. Uh, the next question is when filing out when filling out the grounds for divorce, if I file under adultery, do I have to present any evidence of this? Yes, the answer is yes. So the grounds for adultery are that your, the elements of adultery are that your spouse had to be disposed to committing this. What this means is your spouse had the opportunity. So maybe they, um, you know, started texting and maybe they started um, FaceTiming and being on uh, Facebook and they started to come home late or, um, you know, um, late nights at the office and they actually went out with this person. That is disposition. That means that my spouse had the opportunity to actually commit the adultery. And then the next thing is you have to show that your spouse actually did commit adultery. Um, I have a client who, unfortunately, her spouse thought it was a good idea to 
go online and create a profile. Now, I don't, I don't think you guys understand how commonplace this is. A lot of spouses think they'll never get caught um, and they go ahead and they create different profiles, um, unfortunately looking for dates, looking for sites, looking for whatever. And unfortunately, um, a friend of a friend of a friend finds this spouse online and sends it to one of my clients say, hey, isn't this your husband or isn't this your wife? and unfortunately they're caught. So that usually, even if your spouse in that case doesn't actually commit the adultery, that is usually enough to provide. Your testimony is good too. So you can provide testimony stating, you know, who, what, when, where, and why that your, that your spouse did what he or she did and your spouse has the opportunity to go ahead and refute this or not refute this. If your spouse doesn't refute it, meaning they don't argue and they kind of just confess or they remain silent, then the court is going to unfortunately take that as an admission. But as I said, in the state of Maryland, um, I'm not sure for other states, adultery is a crime. So as a result, if you commit adultery and you do not plead the fifth, then yes, um, you will be subject to criminal action. I've never seen the state's attorney go after it. I think it's a waste of time and taxpayer dollars, um, but you just have to keep in mind that it is um, possible. So with that said, we don't have any other questions. In the event anyone has any questions that they want to ask me privately, um, in the email blast that I sent out, my email, my phone number, and everything is on there. Um, in my past webinars, I've had people hit me up on Facebook, that works too. Text message is fine also. Thank you so much for hanging with me for the hour. Things started off a little rocky with some technical difficulties, but thanks for sticking with me. Have a great day, everyone.